0: Stay on the porch, blow the whist Flow the this Where you get that from? Where the spin one? Let me hit that plum. Kim eight ball and MJG keep spitting that B to the IMP Fun B, that's Texas baby. Ballin B, that's Memphis baby. Short dog, that's Business and Buckets episode 116 coming at you on this beautiful tuesday afternoon here in phoenix arizona and uh we had the first pay-per-view of 2022 we're going to break that down we're going to talk about fights booked and the way the schedule's broken down we do not have any fights coming up this weekend so we'll just be recapping this card and then previewing what's next coming up next week as i get prepared For this full MMA transition rebrand into two separate podcasts, so stay tuned on that. But before we talk the world to MMA, we're going to talk about the one and only sponsor here at Business at Buckets, and that is Fueled Supplements. So fellas, performance is at the top of the list in all categories of our lives. That's why you need Counter-Attack from Fueled Supplements. Their advanced on-cycle and post-cycle standalone formula is so much more than the average testosterone booster. Counter-Attack combats estrogen production, supports liver, kidney, and heart health, as well as boosts sex drive, energy levels, and muscle mass. So let's face it, we all want to feel like a young, energized version of ourselves, so increase vitality inside and outside the gym with counterattack. The missus will thank you for it. So don't wait, head to fueledsupplements.com, use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS. B-U-C-K-E-T-S. Now, quite a bit of interesting showdowns having been booked in the world of MMA. We have a little bit of Bellator and boxing news as well. But we're going to kick it off with Pedro Munoz and Chris Gutierrez has been booked. I believe it's a fight night in April. They don't even have a location figured out yet. But it's going to be great to see Pedro Munoz re-enter the octagon and... I'm pretty sure this is probably going to be one of the stiffer tests of Chris Gutierrez's UFC career. So a big step up in competition should be a fun showdown. And then Bobby Green getting right back in the octagon as he likes to do, taking on Jared Gordon. Obviously, with the Patty news, Jared would not be getting a rematch anytime soon. So we get a good scrap with Bobby Green and Jared Gordon. And one that was somewhat surprising to me, I mean, these fighters need fights. Um, but I was surprised Song was, was wanting this fight. We get Song Yadong and Ricky Simone, two young studs in the very deep bantamweight division. Pretty good records, pretty good experience. They've really struggled to get into the upper echelon of the division, especially Ricky Simone. So this will be a, a big fight for them. A little bit of clash of styles here. Said Nurmagomedov is back, and he is taking on Jonathan Martinez. So Said, pretty quick turnaround. Uh, getting right back into the mix against Jonathan Martinez. Christian Leroy Duncan is taking on Dusko Todorovic, uh, Dana White Contender Series alum Dusko, looking to keep momentum going. And then after the staff and in t- mouth injury, Kelvin Gastelum is taking on Chris Action Man Curtis, UFC 287. That will be a great showdown uh, of two veterans and um, uh, really going to be a... Uh, you know, uh, a hu- it's really going to showcase the trajectory of these guys' careers. A loss there uh, really is going to, you know, put in question what, what they're striving for and what kind of competition they'll, they'll face moving forward. So a lot of implica- implications there. Alexander Volkov, Alexander Romanov, March 11th. Um, huge fight. Romanov suffering his first loss. Taking on a legend, a veteran, and Volkov... A little bit of clash of styles here, but it'll be interesting to see how that goes down. Volkov's never afraid to fight anybody. And booked just this afternoon, Jalen Turner, Dan Hooker, UFC 285, March right here in right in the back door in Las Vegas. I mean, are you kidding me? Drew Dober asked for Jalen Turner, but he gets Dan Hooker. And the opponents that Hooker has faced the past two years, um, you know, it's wild to see who he's fought. People on crazy trajectories, undefeated fighters. Turner's 5-0 in his last five fights. I mean, he is not, you know, taking the easy fights by any means. So going to be a tough test for Turner, but a very tough fight for Hooker as well. Can't wait for that one. Um, obviously, the card just happening this past weekend in Rio de Janeiro. Jose Aldo joining the, the Hall of Fame and well-deserved. I think no surprise there. Uh, You know, the King of Rio, the guy that really has brought a lot of eyes to the lower weight classes since the WEC days, and a guy that really, um, really boosted my interest in the sport and showed a lot of people what is capable in the sport as well. Uh, Luke Rockhold asked for his release from the UFC contract. He was granted it. So now he is a free agent and could pursue other uh, affairs, PFL, boxing, whatever else that, you know may come down and I think that's a benefit of having a great relationship with the UFC uh, doing his part throughout the years and um, also the fact that I think the UFC just doesn't think he has a lot of fight left in him so they're willing to grant him that because that does not happen very often Uh, you can see lots of fighters complaining about their last fights and uh, having to battle with that you know Paul Costa is in that situation and Ghanu was in that situation Uh, many examples to pull from And then the once hyped and prolific expectations under this guy, Sage Northcutt returning from a four-year layoff at one on Prime Video 10 against Ahmad Mujtaba, who I am not familiar with, but everyone will have eyes on the ex-UFC fighter that was, um, probably had the highest trajectory and hype at one time, you know, not Conor McGregor hype, but Quite hyped. I mean, he's shredded. He's an athlete. He could do a little bit of everything. Um, So after four years off of professional fighting, making his debut for the one championship promotion, and uh, everyone's going to be tuning in. I know I will just to see what he can do because he's an interesting character to say the least. He looks like a super Saiyan out of Dragon Ball Z. And Bellator re-signs Vadim Nemkov to a multi-year deal. The light heavyweight champion, I think one of their better uh, talented fighters on their roster, a guy that could come into the UFC and compete right away. So um, I'm sure they had to make that happen and are excited that that got done. And then the UFC announces a multi-year deal to be the official broadcaster of ADCC via their Fight Pass uh, package, which I subscribe to. And it will even include the ADCC trials, which I'm super stoked about. You know, I have jujitsu after... This podcast recording. So uh, I'm excited to be able to tune in through fight pass. Um, it wasn't very simple with the flow grappling and other p- places that they had, um, showcased the ADCC trials, which is the biggest, it's like the super bowl competition of jujitsu. If you ask me, so being able to have this, you know, monopolizes the UFC a little bit more, more power to them, but it is easy access and convenient for consumers such as myself. And I could study up on my jiu-jitsu game right then and there. Floyd Mayweather and Aaron Chalmers official for February 25th boxing bout at the O2 in London. I have no idea who Aaron Chalmers is. Supposedly some YouTuber, actor, something of that nature. Just more money for Floyd Weather, an easy dub for him to have. But uh, as everybody probably will be, I will be tuning in because it's Floyd Mayweather Jr. Let's see. How old is he now? He is now 45 years old, still getting it done and not official, but Anthony Joshua finalizing a fight with Jermaine Franklin, April 1st in London as well. I have no idea who Jermaine Franklin is, but Anthony Joshua trying to get another dub on his record as there is a lot of potential large bouts with Nganu or trying to actually get Fury or somebody else uh, to go down against Joshua. And lastly, before we talk UFC 283, Greg Hardy making his BKFC debut February 17th against Josh Watson. Greg Hardy is a savage. He's massive. He's scary, and I can only imagine what is to come on BK BKFC. I can see Greg Hardy being one of their biggest sellers. And um, you know, I will try to watch the fight. We'll see because I'm not going to try to pay for BKFC. But if I could find a way to, to stream it, watch it, I'll definitely be doing so. But let's talk the first pay-per-view of 2023. UFC 283, what a great card. It ended up being, delivering in Rio de Janeiro. I went 10-4 and 4 on my picks, which I feel like is a solid record. You know, when I, I give you guys my picks, I don't always pick every fight because I have no clue on some of the fighters. Um, And, um, you know just really don't have a good say or, or, vibe on it. Um, but you know, I picked 14 fights. It's a pretty good amount, had a good uh, winning percentage and we keep on steamrolling. The one thing I took away though, as I was watching the fights, I did not watch them wa- live. I watched them back cause I was in Wyoming this weekend, seeing some friends and family having a good old time. Uh, gotta go to a Wyoming basketball game, watch them get a win. Uh, went to a concert at the Cowboy Bar downtown, Laney Wilson from Yellowstone. Got the whole Western experience. So thanks to my buddy Jake McKinney and his family for hosting me. I had an amazing time. Hadn't been to Laramie in ten, you know, since I was 10 to 12 years old and, and got to spark up some some great connections and, and pretty much family. So that was really great, but I did not watch the fight live. I was at the Laney Wilson concert, watched it back. And as I was watching, I, I just kept you know, assuming there'd be more and more fans. There was a lot of empty seats in that arena. Pretty good vibe, pretty good energy. You know, we'll talk about the Moreno situation later, but um, I I thought it would be a a bigger show out by the fans. And I was a little disappointed to see the show, you know, how the fans showed out in Rio. Um, But internationally, I, I, you know, I could assume could always be tricky for getting butts in seats, but either way, a little disappointed. I thought Rio would show up better with all the Brazilian talent on the card, especially. But good wins by Dana White Contender Series alum Daniel Marcos and Gabriel Bonfim. He had a quick submission. Bonfim brothers go 2-0. Um, but Daniel Marcos looking solid. Bonfim making slight work of his opponent. Um, so good wins there that are fights that we will not break down. But we will start where we took off in the early prelims. With the Bonfim brother who started the night off for his brother, Ismail Maretta Bonfim, with a second round knockout over Terrence T-Rex McKinney. And uh what a showing this was by Ismail. I mean, Terrence looked, you know, he's definitely the longer, larger framed fighter. Ismail looks shredded. And coming in against, you know, Terrence McKinney, is up and down as he is, is no slight work. He has good striking. He has good cardio. He can wrestle. He can take uh, wrestle defense. He can do a little bit of everything. And um, Bonfim came out there patiently and was able to strike with big shots with accuracy because Terrence was definitely throwing volume as well, but it didn't, uh, a lot of those strikes didn't land. Whereas Ismail, everything landed, it landed, and you could see that it landed. Um, even when Terrence was landing, it didn't land with the force and impact that Bonfim's did. And, you know, for a fighter coming in, making his debut, I don't know a ton about him or haven't seen a lot of tape on him. And I was really, really impressed. And I think Terrence even looked good to where he has been lately, but Bonfim is the real freaking deal. And there was a lot of debuts on this card and just showcases the level of talent that can even be cropped before they enter the UFC you know, 10 years ago, a fighter enters the UFC and is making his debut. You're like, ah, they're going to get, you know, smacked around. They're going to have to earn their stripes. But now these people come in so talented and these young men and kids are coming in and they're ready to rock. And they could potentially be better than quite a few guys on the roster already. And especially with all these new ways of finding talent, contender series, looking for a fight, you know, these overseas promotions and what they're doing. And obviously, they can work in other mainstream MMA promotions, PFL, Bellator, so on and so forth. And that's why I always talk about where these fighters come when we're previewing cards. Because if it's like LFA, Jungle Fight, um, you know, Titan FC, certain promotions, you know they're going to be quality talent. And I obviously pit, picked Terrence. This was a parlay uh, buster and a, a quick loss for me early on um, because I haven't seen the tape. And, you know, even if I had seen the tape, maybe I wanted to pick Bonfim anyways. But I was massively, massively impressed with the well-roundedness, the IQ, the patience, the power, and just the fucking, you know, the fucking vibe Ismail brought. He he just came in there, and he was ready to rock and roll. So really, really impressed. Not a ton statistically here, but Ismail landed 38 total strikes, 34 of those significant. He did have one takedown. Although it was four attempts, um, he was able to, re- you know, take down a wrestler. Uh, he seemed to be more interested in wrestling than Terrence did in- unless Terrence got rocked. And, uh, he did have the knockdown compared to Terrence's 20 total, 14 significant while going zero for two in his own takedown attempts. And those takedown attempts were just clear, you know, simply that he was getting messed up. Um, he, um, Ismael had him up against the cage, was rocking him with some big shots um, he he knocked out his mouthpiece a couple times, and in the final knockout in the second round, it was without his mouthpiece, which was pretty scary because Ismail came in with his flying knee and it landed perfectly into Terence's um, like temple jawline, and uh, he went down face first into the canvas. Pretty nasty scene. You hate to see that, uh, but what a clean clean finish by Ismail, a perfect time knee, and uh, without the mouthpiece, I was a little afraid, you know, a little worried. After the fight, you could see Terrence getting up. He was still kind of out of it, but you always worry for the fighter's health because that was a vicious, vicious highlight knockout. So Terrence does start another losing streak. He is 3-2 in the UFC. Ismael extends his winning streak to 13 and moves to 2-0 in the UFC. The reason I say 2-0 is that includes the Dana White Contender Series fight. I count Ultimate Fighter. Uh, finale fights and Dana White Contender Series fights into their overall UFC record because the quality of talent is typically always there. Um, so I'm I, I'm saying he's 2-0 since he entered the UFC now. 13 fight winning streak. Get out of town. This guy is a fucking problem. And um, the funny thing is after the fight, the next day they, they posted on social media of Ismail and Terrence taking tequila shots on the beaches of Rio. So, no hard feelings. Uh, you know, game respects game in this instance. And I'm sure we'll see a lot more uh, from Terrence. And obviously, Ismail is a skyrocket stock in the UFC. So, where do these guys go from here? Well, there definitely isn't a lack of quality opponents in the lightweight division. Could you imagine Terrence McKinney and Mark DeCasey, the Bone Crusher, T Rex? Make it happen, guys. That have been up and down. This is a career-defining moment. Uh, uh, let's make something happen. Fight, even though Terence is a few years out of his prime, and for Ismail, give me Matt Fravola, who's been on a roll. He lost to McKinney uh, about three fights ago. Has been on a roll ever since. Um, so that that makes sense for me. A guy that's you know decently put in the rankings in the division. Obviously not top 15, but probably like 25. I want to see this guy back in the octagon quick, though, because I was super impressed by the Bonfim brother. Moving on in the early prelims, we have Cody the Spartan Stamen with unanimous decision over Luan Lacerda. And before we even break it down, I mean, we got to see great striking for both fighters. Cody, you know, with his typical boxing, high high volume, high pace, high movement, head movement, circle, circle, you know, a couple combos bounce out. Why Luan was a stoic Muay Thai stance, big, vicious fucking kicks, all powerful shots. And, uh, you know, really, really put forth a lot of power in each strike, although the volume wasn't as high as Cody. But the way I had scored the fight, I actually had it. Um, Luan Lacerda with two rounds to uh, one with Cody. I had Cody winning the second, Luan winning the first and third. So, you know, this was a very close fight and I actually had the decision going the other way. I thought that Luan maybe landed a few less strikes in round one. I think it was literally two less strikes. But those strikes, you know, when we have the highest criterion scoring being damage, were serious damage. Those Muay Thai body strikes are fucking vicious. They sound vicious. They look vicious. And even some of the hooks and punches thrown were very serious, full of power. And then round two, Cody uh, clearly won. Round three, I thought Luan had won that round, uh, especially with um, the body language of Cody at the end. Cody kind of egging him on, but nothing really happening. And then the takedown by Luan, which it's crazy he got the takedown, but, you know, it is what it is. Statistically, Cody landed 108 total and 103 significant strikes. He was 0 for 2 in takedown attempts. You know, pretty good wrestler, 0 for 2. Great job by Luan who landed 85 total strikes, 80 of those significant. So, you know, 23 or so less total strikes. He was one for four in takedowns. So not super successful, but was able to take down a collegiate wrestler and a very good wrestler in the Spartan, Cody Stamen. But uh, I was just, you know, much like Bonfim, like, man, La Sierra could be a fucking problem. Um, you know, he comes with a lot of MMA uh, experience, a wealth of knowledge, And clearly, you know, is very, uh, you know, he doesn't mix up his style a lot. He's definitely a Muay Thai fighter and and sticks with that style, which I think he needs to evolve that a little bit, which it could be a little bit of a challenge to teach an old dog new tricks per se. But he was good, and he came in and fought a very, very good level of competition. A guy who had been top 15, I think he was like 8-1 in the UFC at one point in time. So I was super impressed here. Again, a guy that I had not a lot of knowledge on. It's like, damn, I'm going to be tuning into this guy moving forward. So, Cody extends his winning streak to two after a brutal two years where he was 0 for 3, although against very tough competition and an amazing bantamweight division. Lawan starts a new losing streak after a 10 fight winning streak. I could understand how he got the 10 fight winning streak. And he starts his UFC career 0 for 1, but I'm sure we will see him back sooner than later. So, what I'd like to see next for Cody. It's going to be right back into stiff competition with this win against top 20 or so competition. I think a fight against Ronnie Yaha come summertime would make a ton of sense. Especially with a win like that, you get right back in the top 15, which you know you, he wants to do at this stage of his career. And for Luan, I'd love to see him square up against Sergey Morozov. Um, <laughs> that would be a fucking fun fight. Either way, I'll be tuning into both of these guys moving forward. But great performance. I did have it scored for Luan, two rounds to one. But I did pick the fight right. And I think everyone picked this fight. Jayelton uh, Almeida with a second round TKO over Shamil Akimov. And really, this fight was Shamil athletically taking it to Shamil. Jayelton, man, uh, you know, he's like, I think 35 pounds less than Shamil in this fight, but was. He picked up Shamil, slammed him a couple of times. The first slam was vicious. He was landing huge leg kicks that would turn Shamil, good power shots. He took his time. He showed his grappling. He showed his jujitsu, got into full mount, landed some ground and pound, was able to get the job done. And Shamil's tough because he took almost two full rounds of beating from the uh, uh, beast that Almeida is and the guy that probably nobody wants to fuck with. And Shamil's taken a lot of up-and-comers on lately to keep his UFC career alive. But, man, is he tough because he took a lot of beating. Not many people, you know, there was instances where Shamil was on his back, getting pinned down by Jailton and, and side control or full mount, and was able to continue to fight after many strikes taken and get out. Right? Get up against the cage, find a way out, keep fighting, get to the next round. Uh, lots of heart and determination in a few fights uh, in Rio. Uh, but he definitely showed that, you know, he wasn't going to give up. But Jaelton forced his hand. I mean, he landed 89 total strikes, 45 of those significant. He had three takedowns in five attempts. So if he wanted to get the takedown, he pretty much got it. And Shamil only landed three total strikes, one of them significant. Jailton has barely been struck on this impressive winning streak. And he is a problem. I'm saying absolute dog. Absolute problem So Jaelton extends his winning streak to 13 Five of them in the UFC. He enters the top 15 at number 14 And this was the day that a lot of fighters were hoping would not come and they are not excited to fight this man um, Shamil extends his losing streak to four. He has not won since April of 2019 and at the age of 41, he may have entered the octagon for the last time. Although he did take on some of the best um, heavyweight up-and-comers Sergei Pavlovich, who's also a problem. Lots of young, athletic fucking beasts in the heavyweight division. Togano uh, Gilton Almeida and Curtis Razor Blades. I mean, those three guys could all potentially be at the very top of the division here shortly. And, uh, Shamil might get granted some more fights if his contract is up. But, you know, after a beatdown like that, who knows where his head's at. So Almeida, this enigma of a fucking problem. When you think of Jai you just think, sheesh, if you're another fighter. But let's kick up the competition a little bit. I would like to see him take on Sergey Spivak. I think that would be a, a good next step. And if Shamil does fight again, he could take on Jake Collier. And that was the early prelims. Entering the prelims, uh, we got another fight correct with Tiago Moises getting a second-round submission via face crank against Melquizel Costa. And uh, Moises definitely went to the wrestling well here, uh, controlled the fight, outstruck Melk, um, and, and really just put it to him. I mean... Although it took to the second round, he, he was able to do everything he wanted. He was able to move on uh, when he had top control from the takedown attempts. He was able to land some good strikes, land some good leg kicks. And uh, this was definitely, seemed like a fine-tuning fight as his opponent. Uh, he had a last-minute change. I think about a couple weeks ago, he knew that Melk was going to step in. So Tiago landed 45 total, 22 significant strikes. He had four takedowns and seven attempts. So more than 50%, he was pretty much able to get a takedown if he wanted it. He also had that submission attempt compared to Melk's 43 total strikes and 23 significant. And uh, Tiago, you know, he, he's definitely been up and down, but he extends his winning streak to two after a tough two losses in the year of 2021. And Melk has his two-fight winning streak come to an end in his UFC debut. He is 0-for-1 in the promotion. So I would love to see... Tiago fight Garam, Taladze. that's what was originally booked. Definitely going to be a, a, an interesting bout. I think Garam is, is very underrated, and Moises is probably as well. Uh, Garam's probably not going to look to go to wrestling like Tiago is, but still, I, I, I want to see that fight. And for Melk, he could take on John Mcdessi as he continues his UFC career. And another fight I got wrong that really shocked me, we had Bruno, the Hulk, Fayetta Fayetta, with a first round knockout over Gregory, RoboCop Rodriguez, my guy. And, uh, whoo, I mean, these guys came out, you could assume just by knowing RoboCop and looking at Fayetta's last few fights, most of them ending a knockout, looks like a fucking muscle hamster that they were going to throw some smoke and they came out throwing big fucking strikes. You knew someone was going to get knocked out in the first or second round, but Robocop was winning the first round. He was landing big power shots, good leg kicks. He just seemed like the better the better all-around fighter until it was just too late. The Bruno was pushed up against the cage cuz Robocop continually stocks you down. He's always pushing forward and Bruno had kind of like Gave him some almost left and right hooks and then comes in with the big left hook, lands cleanly and completely shuts the lights off for RoboCop and I've seen RoboCop take a lot of big shots. That one just seemed to be landing in the perfect spot but obviously Bruno possesses some power because he's knocked a lot of people out and he was able to knock RoboCop out which if you look at his last fight the big cut he had on his head and a lot of the other fights he's taken some shots. So. Bruno is living up to the nickname, The Hulk. He knocked out RoboCop. What a start to your UFC career in Rio de Janeiro. Now, RoboCop landed 21 total and significant strikes compared to Hulk's 23 total and 22 significant. He obviously had that knockdown and was 0 for 2 in takedown attempts. He was looking to take down Gregory when he was landing some big shots, but again, landed that huge hook up against the cage. And uh, he's going to be a problem. So Gregory has his two-fight winning streak come to an end. He is 4-2 and two in the UFC. Bruno stays undefeated and moves to 2-0 with his Dana White Contender Series victory. I would love to see Gregory get his Bruno revenge and take on Bruno Silva. Not two ends, but one end. Bruno Silva, that would be another dogfight. Both guys willing to, uh, to dance, so to speak. Well, Fieheta, he could fight Armin Petrosian, um, a guy that had beat Robocop, a guy that's come into the UFC and had, had quite a good career. That'd be a great next step and a fun stylistic matchup where you gotta make sure to tune in. Then we had a few retirement fights. We started the or we finished the prelims with a no retirement fight and last showdown for Mauricio Shogun Harula, and he takes on Ihor the Duelist Poteria, who indeed did get the first round TKO. And you know, Shogun has uh, had an amazing career. He was a staple, beating Lyoto Machida when Machida was fucking almost unbeatable. It seemed like came from um, uh, what am I blank? Pride, and really came in from Pride, like past his past his prime. You know, he was already fighting like a savage, comes to the UFC. And he almost think if he would have came into the UFC a few years later, he could have had a bigger run. But he fought the best of the best for years. And, um, you know, I would assume we'll enter the Hall of Fame one day. That's the, the level of fighter that this guy was. And, you know, a great guy, great for the sport, a leader in the sport, and a guy that these young fighters can look up to today. And as sad as I hate to say this, the biggest like, thing that sticks out to me and is a bad taste in my mouth is when Ihor uh, finished the fight. He was doing this dance celebration, pointing at Shogun while Shogun's done. Like, this is his retirement fight. You know that. Like, I know you won. You want to celebrate it. But, like, we don't need to be this extra against a fucking legend like that. Show your, you know, show show the OGs some respect, so so to speak. But anyways, Ihor looked pretty good. He landed 27 total. 21 of those significant. He did have a knockdown and was 0 for 2 in takedown attempts. While Shogun landed 21 total strikes, 17 of those significant. Um, It didn't make it out very far, but uh, IHOR now starts a new winning streak. He is 2-1 in the UFC. Mauricio ends his career on a three-fight losing streak, and he has not won since July of 2020. He did still have some fight left in him. I liked what I saw from his last fight before this against OSP. Another true veteran, but I think it's a good time to hang him up, and, and he knew that. So obviously Shogun's retired. He could take on the Hall of Fame, as I believe he will be inducted eventually. And for IHOR, I think he could take on Maxime Grishan. That is a good step in the right direction, which sets us up for the main card. Hello, Johnny Walker, with a first-round TKO over Paul Bearju Craig. And uh, you always know that this could come from Johnny. You just look at the freaking length and size that he has over these other fighters. He looked like he was way longer than Paul Craig and uh, faster, more agile. But the biggest shock here was Johnny Walker showcased some patience. Maybe the 30s are treating Johnny well. He was patient, you know, giving some twitches, giving some fakes, really trying to measure out his, his opportunity for Paul Craig. And although he was patient, It's not like this knockout came for just the perfect strike at the perfect time. Paul Craig got in on a leg, and Johnny is so long, he was somehow able to leverage while Paul has his leg to fucking swing in a shot and and rock Paul, get him down against the cage, and land a couple more follow-up shots at the end of the fight. You don't see that very often. Someone comes in, but you got to realize if they do have a single, you know, their head's down, they're probably looking for their next move. And he was able to land a shot before he was able to determine what he was doing. Um, somewhere I saw that somebody thought he was maybe going to pull guard. his Paul likes to do that. Once he had the leg, pull guard look to do some leg entanglement. Which could make sense because he was holding that. And you could tell he was trying to determine what his next move was. Too much time. Johnny was able to land a big shot that rocked him. And this one didn't last very long. I mean, Johnny landed 17 total and 16 of those significant. He had the knockdown while Paul only landed three total and significant strikes of of his own. So Johnny, he extends his winning streak to two after a two fight losing streak. He does move up a a nice four spots in the rankings to number eight. His career is right back on the right path, right where he, he wanted to be. You know, he did suffer a knockout loss to Jamal Hill in early of 2022, but he was a very high prospect with that length, that speed, that knockout power. He's going to be a problem. And now he's back up in the top 10 and a couple fights away, right back where he wants to be. This was a huge win uh, and a great showcase by Johnny Walker. And again, like I said, showcase some patience, which was a surprise. And Paul, he extends his losing streak to two after a, you know, a nice four fight winning streak that got him into the rankings. He does fall down two spots to number 11. And I do believe his days, I think he's almost 36, 35. His days of fighting top talent in the light heavyweight division could very well be coming to a close with a loss there. Um, you know, and it, he's gonna be a hard guy to, to get fights booked, I think. Not re- anybody wants to really fuck with him, because you could beat the shit out of the bear Jew. Two two and a half rounds, then he gets in an ankle lock, somehow finds a way to get you know, the submission. So. But I would love to see Paul Craig take on a veteran, working his way back up. Dustin Jacoby Paul Ber- Paul Craig, make that happen. And for Johnny Walker, I think I would love to see him fight Anthony Smith, which hasn't happened yet. But I doubt Smith wants that to happen. You know, he was the extra uh, for the light heavyweights, even though he didn't make weight. And I I really doubt he's going to want to fight down in the rankings. So that may not happen. And if it doesn't, how about Vulcan Ozdemir? Both guys looking to get right back on track. Both thought very highly of. We'll see who, who deserves to be up in the rankings. That would make sense to me. And then we had this fight, man. Uh, a lot like I had expected, Jessica Bataestaka Andraj with a unanimous decision over Lauren Murphy. And this was just three rounds of a complete beatdown. And we know coming in, Lauren's tough. She's beaten some high, high-quality fighters. She needs to be able to grapple to beat Jessica Andraj in this fight. And it's almost like Jessica was so fast. She couldn't find an opening or something. I'm not too sure, but she didn't try very much. Um, And when I say very much, like very good attempts, they were all like pretty sloppy, not the typical wrestling that you would see. And a lot of that could be by the amounts of strikes absorbed. Jessica literally was able to land anything, anywhere, anytime. She was faster than Lauren, she circled faster, she retreated faster, her hands are faster, more power. And it was like watching someone spar and tee off on a dummy, I mean, She landed 237 total strikes. 231 of those were significant. So this was like tap, tap. It was like boom, boom. Like she was fucking her up. The the announcers were saying that they should have thrown in the, the, you know, thrown in the flag, so to speak. Like, hey, you know, let's call this fight. What else do we need to see? Especially after two rounds, Lauren's face was looking pretty beat up. And, uh, you know, they were 10-8 rounds. There's not necessarily a reason to have another round of of punishment. Lauren Murphy pleaded her case on social media. I saw on Twitter. She was happy that she did it. And, you know, she wants to be tough. The coaches know her more than anyone. I know she's tough. But it wasn't going anywhere. It's just more damage to the fighter. And uh, your pride's at stake. But uh, if you want to keep fighting, you can only take so many shots. And she took 231 of those significant. Most of those were to the head. And Jessica did have a takedown as well. Lauren landed 103 total and 100 significant. So over 130 less shots and she was 0 for 15 in takedown attempts. You know, I don't remember 15 good takedown attempts. Again, a lot of them were like getting messed up, kind of lean over, didn't really have an opportunity. But Andraj is a fucking problem. She's a two weight class division fucking problem. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But uh, brutal fight to watch. Uh, I, f- I feel bad for Lauren Murphy. Uh, you know, sometimes you got to protect the fighters. But Jessica, she extends her winning streak to three. You know, she has recent wins in both flyweight and strawweight. Her only losses since September of 2015, eight years ago almost, have been Yoana young who was champ at the time, Zhang Wei-Lei, Rose Namajunas, and Valentina Shevchenko. Outside of Amanda Nunez, you know, if you want to put Chris Cyborg in the UFC, Mount Rushmore, she has only lost to the best of the best to ever grace the sport. She's a problem. And she's still pretty young. Let's see. Let's see how old she is. I can't remember. Off the top of my head, she is only 31 years old. Came in young. She's a Dow. She did move up three spots, in, or, yep, three spots in the rankings to number three in the flyweight rankings. She did go down two spots in the strawweight to six, which doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but she's flip-flopped divisions, so maybe they're saying the amount of time. And Lauren starts a new losing streak after her win against Misha Tate, and she drops down two spots to number six. And that just showcased that she beat Misha Tate. She's tough, she's good. There's just levels, especially in the women's divisions, I feel like you got the top couple, then there's a middle pack, and then the bottom. They're just so, like, those three tiers, there's just so much separation in between them. But either way, uh, Lauren showed her toughness. I don't think many people could have lasted those three rounds. I would love to see her take on Macy Barber, a young up-and-comer, can get her career on track. You know, she isn't a spring chicken anymore. You know, this is this would be a high-quality fight for her and a good chance for Macy to move up in the rankings as well. But if it, for Andrade, let's just assume she goes back to straw weight. She went straw fly, now back to straw. We'll see. Um, give her Carlos Esparza if they haven't fought before. This would be a huge opportunity for her to get a top of the straw weight, although she's lost to Rose and Zhang Wei-lei. And then she can go back to flyweight. I mean, you know, I don't know. She wants to be champ champ. Maybe she's going to be a bit better and better. But I would love to see her fight Carla Esparza. That would make a ton of sense. But ain't nobody going to want to mess with Andrade. Pate Estaca is coming. Then we had Gilbert Durinho Burns with a first round submission via arm triangle choke over Neil Magny. And I'll tell you what, as a guy entering Jiu-Jitsu, you're trying to find your flow in certain situations. Watching what Gilbert Burns did that first round once he took Neil Magny down was amazing. Supposedly he's staying in Rio and putting on a clinic he needs to put on a clinic on a, on exactly how to do that I rewatched this 15 times to understand how he had set that up I was massively impressed and I can't wait to try out uh, How to use my arm triangle better in jiu-jitsu because that was smooth as hell uh, He did go in transition to it from full mount So, uh, you know, you don't have to be in full mount to do an arm triangle, but golly that was fucking beautiful, you know? Now that I'm getting a little bit more crispier on my jiu-jitsu game, I mean, I don't know if he could have done it much better than that. Uh, I mean, you know, we've seen Gilbert strike against Kamzat. I don't even think they look to wrestle much, if I remember that fight much. Which I should watch it back. That fight was fucking amazing. Uh, I don't think I could get tired of watching Gilbert and Kamzat fight again. But, uh, you know, we haven't seen this style from, from uh, Gilbert since he fought Steven Wonderboy. And uh, golly, it just reminds you how good he is. And Neil's a big guy for him. And uh, I was just so, so impressed. That was a clinic. Tough day for Neil, mainly. He fights anyone, he's always game. Like I said, there's levels. I remember last week I said levels. Andrade, Lauren, there's levels. Jessica's here. Gilbert's here. I love Neil. I always root for Neil. But there's fucking levels to this game. And Gilbert showed out in his home's fucking country, and it was awesome to see. Um, statistically, Gilbert only landed 10 total strikes, five significant. He had that takedown and submission attempt, and Neil only landed four total and four significant. Gilbert does start a new winning streak. He is 2-1 since he lost to Kamaro Usman. He stays at number five in the rankings, and Neil starts a new losing streak. He is 2-2 two two since 2022. He drops down one spot to number 13. Gilbert had a great call out. He he was aggressive. He called for Colby Covington in English. Ultimate fighter potential. Golly, I really hope that happens. That is the fight to make stylistically. Who is better? About to find out. I hope that happens. I I know that uh, there's other people calling for Colby Covington. That's the big payday. But Gilbert deserves something, man. And for Neil, give him Phil Rowe. I think that would be a fun fight. Phil's on a roll. Um, it's. I think it's going to be hard for Neil to fight up in the rankings at this point. Uh, he's fought, you know, a lot of guys in the division. So Neil versus Phil Rowe, that would be fun. But let's make Colby Covington and Dorenio freaking happen, please, please. I don't want a horrid mess at all. It's slight work. Then we had the two championships, the quadrilogy. A lot of people out there picking Figgy. The baby face assassin showed out Brandon Moreno, third round TKO over Davison, the god of war, Figueredo, and come to find out in this fight, Brandon Moreno had come into the fight with a major knee injury, and he did recover from a flu or some sort of illness uh, pretty early, you know, in fight camp, um, but with not a lot of time to spare, he recovered, never complained. He came out there, and he put this chapter to rest um you know let's address the the shot um figgy was kind of you know vouching for an eye poke you don't see this a lot but moreno came with the hook that landed like thumb knuckle straight on the eye socket or maybe right under it where the cut was and had swollen uh figgy's eyes shut when he had landed the the left like all of his body had come in he had kind of put the right hand up on figgy's face to push off but no part of the eye or hand poked that other eye and obviously he's complaining about the eye that was shut by that knuckle shot uh replay clearly showed that so i don't think there's no issues there and that's a tough way to have the the quadrilogy come to an end but it was the shot i mean brandon moreno was up three rounds to zero this was at the end of the three round they didn't let the fight go into the fourth round and the big difference for me was Brandon, right out the gates, wrestling, right? Making Figgy think of the wrestling, got the takedown. And as most flyweight, elite flyweight fights happen, didn't get to keep him down. Figgy literally, so impressive, used his fucking strength, cardio, everything from back and just pushed Moreno off of him uh, for a sweep and got up. If you guys have ever done jiu-jitsu, the amount of strength energy at, a, at the top beginning of a fight When you're still clean, you're not sweaty, greased up, to just push someone off of you while getting up. Fucking insane. I I don't think I I will ever be able to do that. I'm not striving to do that. I don't really care, but Jesus, that was impressive. Um, But he's making Figgy think about that. And Figgy's known for the power shot, the power right hand. And Reno kept circling right this fight, which I think was quite a bit different than what he had been doing in the other fights. He was willing to stand in the pocket more and let Figgy have more uh, combinations to follow up with. But like I said, I think the big difference here is Figgy is right on the edge of his prime, right? He had learned a lot. I think with Cejudo, ended up beating Brandon in decision, went back home. I'm sure he leveraged a lot of things. But Figgy is who Figgy is. There's not a, at 35 years old when you've accomplished as much as he does, you don't change the game. Brandon Moreno, because of this. You know, quadrilogy and everything that's happened has had multiple fight camps, multiple different coaches, new coaches. This one, it was forced on him, but I think it worked out well. And he is still in that age of development as he enters his prime. I think we've seen, you know, what I saw from Moreno against Kaikara France. I'm like, man, he's still leveling up. And I, I think he, he got to showcase that. And I haven't seen the details of the knee injury. But that's some serious shit with, to come into with. In hostile territory, you know what I mean? Hostile territory, you got an injury, most people pulling out. Then you get sick, could suffer, you know, complicate weight cutting and everything else. He stuck the course. He got the fucking job done. These Mexican hearts, man, he's got that Mexican heart in him. And uh, he won't let anything deter him. He's a fucking problem. He's now mentally strong. Right? We think back to a few different fights that go against Figgy. All the, the talking shit. You know, I think Gotten head a little bit. He, he, he was more stoic, more calm, and I am just so impressed with Brandon Moreno. Um, you know, and he's, in, he's an amazing story. He's a true hearted, amazing human being. I uh, would love to have him on the podcast one day tell his story. I was so impressed. But your boy, tried telling y'all. Brandon Moreno, I know a lot of people pick Figgy in this fight. Uh, Brandon did land 85 total strikes, 48 of those significant he had three takedowns and six attempts, so pretty good success, 50%. Um, compared to Figgy's 24 total strikes, 19 significant. He did have a takedown in two attempts, had two submission attempts as well. So Figgy starts a new losing streak. He is one, two, and one in his last four, all against Moreno. And Brandon extends his winning streak to two and closes the net, this chapter once and for all. Um, still, I mean, dude, the, the pace, the quality of this fight, what they're doing. You know, Moreno gets to take takedown. Figgy, pushes him off. Figgy lands some shots. Ren lands some shots. Still a great fight. You got to love high-level flyweight fights. The, the pace is fucking savage. I think Moreno, what makes sense is Pantoja next. You know, Pantoja beat him early on in his career. Pantoja's been cleaning house. And the way he won that last fight, how do you not give it to Pantoja? I think that would be an amazing fight. I think that would probably be Moreno's toughest opponent that's, you know, in the near future could contend for a title shot. Mohamed Mokayev, just because of the grappling, could be a problem in the future. You know, there's other prospects. It could be a problem. But when I'm talking like the top six to seven guys that can compete for a title or would probably get a chance within the next year or two, I think Pantoja is probably the, the, the toughest guy. Let's make that shit happen. And for Figgy, let's make it International Fight Week in Vegas because your boy will be there. Um, But for Figgy, he talked about going up to bantamweight. He didn't talk about it. He said, I'm going up to bantamweight. And people are saying him versus Dominic Cruz. Cruz hasn't fought in a little bit. He's looking for a fight. Are you kidding me? Just the career resume that these guys have, this would be such a sweet legendary fight. The winner of this has either of, you know, Figgy wins. He has Cruz as a win on his record. Cruz wins. He's got Figgy as a win on his record. I, I think that's a great legacy fight. Let's fucking make that shit happen. That'll sell tickets. I'm sure Dom Cruz is just watering at the mouth of that idea. But what a showing by the baby assassin, baby, the baby faced assassin, Brandon Moreno. Golly. Then we had this young man, Jamal. Sweet dreams. Hill with unanimous unanimous decision over Glover Teixeira. Performance of the night, deservedly so. Another case of toughness here. Glover is 43. What he has accomplished, no one could take away from him. And he is still a fucking problem. That's why I picked him. But I did not expect Jamal's cardio to be as good as it was. And he called everyone out for it. Deservedly so. Um, I didn't think he could just shove these takedowns. I mean... Glover had two takedowns in 17 attempts. I don't know many fighters, even with a 43-year-old Glover and the cardio that he had in that, uh, that night, could defend 15 of those. I was massively impressed. Jamal, longer fighter, which it's harder to get takedowns on longer fighters, but he came in prepared. I had not seen him have to get to this point. And, you know, for Jam- Jamal's... Reasoning, he never had to, you know, do that shit. He's knocking people out and out striking people his whole way up from the Dana White contender series. So, you know, he's never had to prove it. His coach and him trying to say it all media week, two weeks, whatever it was. And he got to showcase it. And golly, he is a fucking problem. Not only is he a problem, but he broke the record for most significant strikes in UFC light heavyweight division history. A lot of names up in there. And he's also the first Dana White Contender Series alum to become the UFC champion. Most people's bet, give it up. And although I didn't pick Glover, my logic, if you remember, I gave us the UFC futures bet, my future bet for the light heavyweight champion at the end of the year, Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill. So, you know, my, I, I was pulled in a lot of ways. I'm not surprised. But I am surprised only two takedowns and 17 attempts. No one would have guessed. But Glover taking shots, I mean, Jamal is landing power shots and I think Jamal was landing so many shots in the first two rounds, he kind of tired himself out and you could see him like gasping for air at some point. So is Glover. But like, damn, I cannot put this old man to sleep because like the broadcast was saying on the pay-per-view, Glover is so good with his head and shoulder movement. Although he's getting shot, maybe he's rolling back. You're rolling with the punches. You're kind of taking some of that absorption. So it's not clean knockout shots. Like we saw like Bruno Fiera against Gregory. I don't think that was the most powerful shot Gregory's ever took but it landed precise, clean, and, and Gregory didn't even move, right? He was Robocop. He was stuck like a statue. Boom, that's when it gets fucked up. But if you're able to roll off a little bit, take some of that um, impact off of you. Glover was able to do that. After round, th- starting round three though, I would have never thought Glover would make it to round five. And he had a few interesting spots. He had taken Jamal down, right? The one in round five, he was on top of Jamal. I want to say at least a minute and a half, two minutes. And, like, oh, here we go. He's moving up for Mount. He was able to get that knee over. Nice slide by to get Mount on Jamal Hill. Um, I'm sure Jamal is fucking damn near completely gassed at this moment in time. And Jamal Hill is able to escape out the back door. Uh, I did not think that would happen. I thought we were going to at least get a few different submission attempts. And Jamal was able to get out. So... I, I think the big thing there is against a high-level jiu-jitsu guy like Glover to be able to pull that off in the fifth round or even be able to think about that, right? You know he's been training these situations because when you're that fucking tired, you're that exhausted, you're able to pull out a move against a jiu-jitsu specialist. Bravo, man. Just the wherewithal. Most people are tired. They're not thinking about that. They're just laying there like, fuck, what do I do? What do I do? He just went with what Glover provided because Glover was trying to be patient, wait for him to make the mistake so he could get the submission. He did it, um, but I-, I enjoyed this fight. I like seeing high-quality fighters get put to the test, right? Sean O'Malley, on everyone wanted to question Sean. Does he have that dog in him? what can he do? He showed out. Jamal Hill showed the fuck out, man, and it was so cool to see. But who even cares about the fight? You guys get it. Five rounds, basically complete domination. Glover had a couple moments, still landed some big shots. Both of them looked pretty fucked up. But I think Jamal tired himself out the first two rounds, put himself in danger. Then Glover caught him, got that nice cut that he had, and then he was able to continue to dominate, uh, was able, even able to take Glover down, you know, faced adversity round five, got out the back door, got on top, ended up winning the fight. But the coolest moment is Jamal Hill's dogging him. What I mean by that is the emotion he showed it took a good 30 seconds after the fight. Like, clearly he won. There's no need to go to the judges' scorecards unless we got some real big judging problems on our hand. And it finally hit him, and he's just fucking crying his eyes out of pure emotion, excitement, happiness. And uh, just that's what makes it, the fight game so so great is seeing that that true emotion come out. And he's screaming furiously, almost scared. You know, it would scare you to shit if you're around there. Everywhere on the octagon, letting people know, and then D.C. trying to get the interview pulled off uh, was a challenge. But, you know, he's calling all of his shots, just saying what's going on, Um, hyping everybody up. What a fucking scene. What a moment. And Jamal Hill deserves all of his flowers, deserves every second of it. But as most sports, we're already ready for what's next. So let's look at the specifics here. So um, statistically, Jamal landed, again, a record. 248 total strikes, 232 of those significant. He did have a reversal. While Glover landed 108 total strikes, 75 of those significant. And he had two takedowns and 17 attempts. Again, fucking fascinating by Jamal. So Jamal extends his winning streak to four. He is seven one one since entering the UFC. Glover ends his career on a two fight losing streak. He did fight for a title three times in a row. And he did win it over Jan Blachowicz. So, although a three fight losing streak, three amazing battles, amazing battles uh, against Yuri. Jamal all came down to the fifth round. He got the win over Blachowicz. And, uh, you know, one of the core stories in UFC history to be able to do what he did at that age. The only thing that comes to mind of even anything close was Randy Couture. So, obviously, Glover announced his retirement again. Uh, the fans, you're at Rio, it's your guy, the Brazilian legend, and everyone left before the fight's over. He can't even retire the right way. Um, but what's next? I think for um, Hill, you know, if Yuri can come and fight in the summer, he's saying July or August, they might wait for that. But I, I doubt that's going to happen. I love that Yuri wants to do that. He already posted the video on IG, said, I'm coming for you, it was pretty intense, a way to sell it. Uh, and I know he's going to do that, but from what they said about the injury, it just doesn't make any sense. So, um, give me Hill and Megomed Ankolaev. I, I thought Megomed did beat Jan, you know, in the draw. He's a young guy. That makes sense to me. You know, these old guys, do we keep them going? With the Hill-Glover announcement, I, I doubt that that was their plan. So, I think it's going to be Hill and Megomed Ankalaev. That's still a fun, stylistic fight, and, and I'll be tuning in. But golly! Jamal Hill, Brandon Moreno, what a fucking night in Rio de Janeiro. Sadly, no fights this weekend. Another week off before a fight night event headlined by Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak at the Apex. It's a late 10 p.m. Pacific main card start. Uh, You know, everywhere in the world has to deal with the time issues. We get to deal with it once. I'll still be tuning in. It's not an amazing card, not going to lie. A lot of the times I could find the the flowers of the card. This one is is a little bit rougher. But then we got UFC 284 Perth, Australia. Islam Makachev, Alexander Volkanovsky going for champ champ. His number one pound for pound on the line. Islam could take that title right from him. I cannot wait to see how that shit goes down. I think this is the only chance that we have in the near future to watch Islam take an L. So we'll be tuning in. Can't wait to break these down. More MMA rebranding coming soon. See you next week.